Now in Acts chapter 10, just we we looked at last week, we're going verse by verse to the book of Acts, which is the best way to learn your Bible, by the way. Last week, this guy named Peter, the apostle Peter, went and he met up with a Gentile named, what was his name? Cornelius. And he did what had never been done before. He led him to faith in Christ. This Jew led a Gentile to follow a Jewish Messiah and got saved. Not only did Cornelius get saved, his whole family got saved. And it was just by just clear, simple, straight up preaching by Peter to that crowd. Cornelius had gathered everybody, sat him down and says, listen to the preacher and you'd be surprised at what is accomplished by just the preaching of the word of God. Right after that, they all went and they got baptized. And it was a fantastic day up in Caesarea. Chapter 11. Now let's pick up and let's read verse 1, 2, and 3. And we'll pick up the events here. Acts 11, verse 1. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea. Now they're down in Jerusalem. They heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. The, the point is, news travels fast, okay? That the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. They stopped him and got upset at him. Verse 3, look at what they said. Saying, thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Now this is quite humorous okay because the believers down in the church in jerusalem heard about peter meeting up and it really infuriated them <clears throat> there was a contention about what they heard here was uh uh here was an attitude that i mean you wonder where do pick up, people pick up this attitude of just criticalness they just find fault well i know where it came from the pharisees there, there, is, there is an element where religion can have a good influence or a bad influence. And this, this criticalness, they, they ignored completely that Cornelius was lost and needed to hear the gospel and get saved. All they were upset about was that a Jew was eating with a Gentile. Like, <gasps> horror of horrors. You know, it amazes me what upsets people. The Pharisees got so upset one day when Jesus on the Sabbath day healed a man. And they just went ballistic and they went, let's kill him. Remember that? It happened often. You ever had anybody eat with, you know, I know when, when you're eating and you got a, a knife and a fork, do you know there's a proper way you put the knife in your right hand and you use the fork in your left hand and you cut your meat and all, you know, that's how it is, you know? But have you ever noticed there are people that if you put the knife in your left hand and you're eating with the right hand, people are freaked out? That's the spirit that was in these. They got caught up with, are you enjoying the meal? No, he's eating with the fork in his left hand. <laughs> it's just some people are like that. You ever, you ever sat down and you're eating and, and uh, uh, somebody next to you, they don't clean their plate? Finish your plate, all right? <laughs> People get caught up with all the wrong things to be upset about. Here, these Jews were upset at someone getting saved and someone getting excited about Jesus more than they were. So Peter is called to task and says, tell us what happened in verse 4. 
in verse, let me, let me go ahead and read verse 4. We'll read down to, let's see, I don't know if I, uh, down to 10. <clears throat> but Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, step by step. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend as it had been a great sheet, like a, like a tablecloth, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. It floated down to me, verse 6. Upon the which I had fastened mine eyes, I considered, and I saw four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts and creeping things, fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean, because there were unclean, unhealthy animals in that midst, hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou uh, common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. Uh, just, uh, just thinking that this, Peter starts right off, and, and he starts to tell this story of what led up to this soul getting saved. And I think of, Think of like when fishermen talk about the fish they caught. Now, I know a lot of fishermen who talk about the fish they almost caught. But, you know, it's great when you take a picture and he says, I caught this baby, all right? And Peter was told, you're a good fisherman, but I'm going to make you into a fisher of? All right, so here's Peter catching a man. Peter describes that God showed me that he's changed some things. Some things we never considered. He cleansed some things. Things that under the Old Testament were a sin to eat. And there were people that it was a sin to be with. Now have been opened up and are, are, are not sinful anymore. It's not that it's not healthy or that it is healthy. God didn't make, God didn't make you know, uh, some of the, the, the vultures and, and birds and things that are carnate, that are, um, uh, rubbish eaters and things. God didn't make them healthy, but he took away the sinfulness of it and cleansed it so that now you can eat anything. All right, don't eat too much. But he said, there's some things that happened on the cross that we never knew that happened. There's a wall of, of difference between us Jews and the Gentiles that I never would have thought of crossing. And God said, Go, and I argued with God three times. I said, no, Lord, I can't. And the Lord kept saying, yes, you will. Yes, you will. Now, what was going on? I need you to hold your place here and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul, very clear what happened. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians 2. Go back to verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past, what? Ephesians 2.11, you were Gentiles in the past who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. So the circumcised, the Jews, call you uncircumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ. You had no Messiah, you had no Savior, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are now made nigh by the what? Not by the works of the law, 
but by the blood of Christ. Something at the cross made it possible for somebody so far away uh, to be now be able to come right up to God. Verse 4, by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, not Moses, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Between us who? Between us Jews and you Gentiles. There was a wall there. Verse 15, having abolished in the flesh the enmity, the warfare, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain, of two people. He wanted to make one new man, so making peace. So instead of making better Jews, Jesus didn't die to make better Gentiles. He made a new person, didn't he? A Christian. Where there are no more Gentiles and no more Jews, but just followers of Jesus Christ. Uh Let's see, did I finish verse 15? Um, verse 16, that, and that he might reconcile both unto God. So he broke down that wall so he could bring Gentiles unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached to you Gentiles, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. So he preached both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. For through him, through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit, now unto the Father. There's no more difference. Somebody says, well, I'm more spiritual. Well, that person, you know, they all they talk about uh, people in nobility and people who are kings. They have nobility in their blood. Well, not in Christianity. Christianity doesn't look at your blood. Christianity doesn't look at your heritage. Christianity knows only about your heart. It knows that we all can be saved. So back to Acts chapter 11, Peter will continue in verse 11 again. Acts 11, 11. And behold, immediately, Peter's continuing, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. So there were seven of us Jews. There were three of those Gentiles that came, and we all went. And so I have a lot of witnesses, and we went into the man's house. Verse 13. And he... Uh, well, just just stop there for a second. Um, uh, well, let's go. We'll continue on. Okay. So he comes along and he says, "We're we're headed into his house." Verse thirteen. And he Cornelius showed us how he had seen an angel in the house, in his house, which stood and said unto him, "Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He sent for me." Verse fourteen. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be what? So I want you to. Call for a preacher named Peter. Come and get him to sit you down and tell you how to get saved. Wouldn't you wish somebody would do that now? <laughs> I mean, we went out yesterday, door knocking, talking to people, trying to tell them how to get saved. But it's nice when it says, could you tell me how to get saved? That was Cornelius. Peter said, it was not of me. This was God's doing. Um, what was I supposed to do would be the answer from Peter. Look in verse 15. And, um, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. This is breathtaking because what he ends up doing is uh, he preached unto them. If you go back to chapter 10, we learn he just told them about Jesus, how he went everywhere doing good, how the, the Jews had killed him. And three days later, he got up again. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the life, death, 
burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And while he was speaking, he didn't even finish his message. All of a sudden, they all got saved. And they got thoroughly saved. I mean, uh, uh, verse, um, verse 15 again, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as has on us at the beginning. When he says at the beginning, back on the day of Pentecost, he says it was like Pentecost all over again. They started speaking in tongues. They spoke Hebrew. Here is this Italian who liked to use his hands when he spoke. He began to speak in Hebrew. It was a miracle. It proved that they were just as saved as we are. They're equal to us before God now. He even quotes John the Baptist in verse 16. Peter says, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he, God said, John indeed, or Jesus said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. So when John said that, Peter says, we thought it was only us Jews who would do that. But he works on everybody. And that was breathtaking. So what is Peter, look in verse uh, 17. For as much then as God gave them the like gift. Now are you understanding, what is the purpose of the gift of tongues? It's not to show off. It's not to have a crazy church service like some churches go crazy. And I've been in them uh, for years before I got saved. I was in the charismatic churches. My mom trying to find a place, uh, a church home and stuff. And I saw them. They didn't quite swing from the chandelier, but you thought they were. And all of that stuff. What's the purpose of tongues? To prove that Gentiles were just as saved as Jews. They were a sign. And that's it. The Jews need a sign. It was not for personal entertainment or personal edification or all that stuff. It was to prove a point. In verse uh, 17, he goes on, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I should withstand God? I can't argue with God anymore. Verse 18, When they heard these things, they held their peace, and they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So those arrogant, smug, narrow-minded Jewish believers accepted that these Gentiles could get saved. And I, I like to encourage you folks. Um, let's get up to the point. We need to believe impossible people can get saved too. See, there are people that you'd say, they'll never get saved. Uh, they're, they're gone. There's impossible. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And whoever you think would never respond to the gospel and would reject you outright, let me tell you, don't think that. Because Peter would never have gone to Cornelius if God hadn't pushed him. Peter never would have opened his mouth and preached about Jesus because to Peter, he would have thought this Gentile doesn't care about the Jewish uh, law doesn't care about Jewish concept of sin, doesn't care about Jewish Messiah. Why would I waste my time? And there's Cornelius saying, please tell me, please tell me. And Peter preached and it worked. And I wish you knew how much fun it would be to be a Christian if you just tried it. If you just tried to give the gospel. If you just opened your mouth and you said, they're probably not going to get saved, but I'll give it a try. And then Bobby's your uncle. Or maybe your brother if he gets saved. Amen. Then it turns, now we go to verse uh, 19, and we watch as Peter's having the time of his life, 
seeing people saved. But there are a lot of persecution going on in verse 19. And the, and the scene changes to a scattering. Verse 19, now when they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but to the Jews only. Just stop there for a second. And if you remember back in Acts chapter 8, go back to chapter 8. Right after Stephen gets stoned in chapter 7, just for preaching, just for telling people they need to repent and believe the gospel and get saved, they had murdered the Messiah. He's preaching hard, I know, but they killed him. Verse 8, chapter 8, sorry. And Saul was consenting unto his death. He was amening it. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the entire church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. There's our word abroad throughout the regions so judea is kind of the county around jerusalem so they're scattered around judea and they started going out as far as samaria i go back to chapter 11 now where are they going all right they're scattered into faraway places and so if you look over here this is jerusalem and that's basically the area that they are kind of spreading out to so far they've gone from Jerusalem into Judea, and they're touching into a region like Northern Ireland, Samaria. But all of a sudden you find here, look at the next verse, verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. They head out, this is 500 miles away, folks, over to Crete. There's a little, there's a city called Phoenice. They went up to the island of Cyprus. They weren't going on holiday. They were leaving because they were being hunted. They were being physically abused and driven out of Israel. So they ended up in Crete. These are Jewish believers ended up in Cyprus. And they headed all the way up. You see this one word up here to a town called Antioch. And there, did you notice, something happens. I'll, we'll come back to that in a second. So I just wanted to show you. All of a sudden, they're spreading out. You know, Christianity is very unique. Uh, uh, without without uh, advertising, without the internet, without telephones, with nothing, it spread throughout the whole world in the first century. And it spread kind of uncomfortably. Now, normally, what motivates us to give the gospel out? Not much. <laughs> but in the first century, it was persecution. So... Uh, they're fleeing because of persecution. I like the fact I kind of wrote down in my Bible, scattered but not silent. Now, you know, when, when somebody bullies you, you kind of just quiet up. You kind of just quiet down. But these folks didn't quiet down. They preached everywhere they went. We are too timid. We're stationary as Christians in the 21st century. I know of some people who quietly leave a gospel track somewhere. Excellent. Start there. Fantastic. But we're waiting for the perfect moments before we ever open our mouth. Don't do that. There, is, there are enough Christians to turn our world around, upside down even, in our generation, if we would open up our mouth and speak. I have to ask, ladies and gentlemen, I have to ask you, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for persecution to finally fall into your lap? 
to affect your job. You don't have to be an outright, you know, blaring Christian for people to know there's something weird about that person. And you don't have to put down on your job resume, I am a born-again Christian, for everybody to know, at least if you're safe, everybody to know they're not like us. And I want you to know there is a persecution coming. If you are saved, you're going to be found out. You're going to be exposed. And when that persecution comes, is that what you're waiting for before you begin to start to say, can I tell you about you? It's a little bit late. still works. But why would you wait? I know some people are waiting for the perfect moment. Don't do that because you'll stand behind a pulpit someday at a funeral saying, I wish I had told them about Christ. And it'll be too late. Don't wait. Now, what was going on was in that scattered evangelism, they were only talking to Jewish people. They had a very narrow view of the grace of God. Don't have that. To them, the grace of God was very Calvinistic. It was very limited to only one people group, to the Jews. Thought only the Jews could get saved. But what I like here in verse 20, it says this. Some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians. Now, the Grecians, in other words, for the Greeks, Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. So accidentally, some people started at a coffee shop, maybe, I don't know. They started telling, have you heard of Jesus? Do you know there's a guy down in Jerusalem who just got murdered because he was teaching the way to God? And they murdered him. And you know what? Three days later, he got out of the grave, just like his prophesied in the Old Testament. And people started listening and going, really? I never heard of such a thing. They preached Jesus. And I thought about this. Here's some Jews, and you know, they forgot to talk about Moses. They forgot to talk about David. They didn't talk about politics. They didn't mention Claudius Caesar. Guess who they talked about? You know, that makes soul winning very simple, doesn't it? Now, I know everybody talks about politics and everybody talks about the weather. But we're supposed to talk about our Savior. We're supposed to talk about one thing the world doesn't know about. They preached that Jesus is Lord. Did you hear that word there? Uh, they preached the Lord Jesus. Hmm. Then it says, verse 20, uh, uh, 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, a little uh, column is, is awesome. You watch column. Column's got this, this great self-confidence, all right? But let's, let's, uh, let's imagine column needs to move a bike, a big, you know, one of my, my, my adult bike. And, and he needs to, so he goes over there and he tries to pick it up and it's just, uh, I can't move it. What if I came along and I gave him my hand and my hand was with him in trying to move that bike? Could we move the bike? So when you are trying to do anything, trying to do the right thing, trying to do a spiritual thing, trying to do the godly thing, and you're finding it not working, why don't you ask God help? Because when the hand of the Lord is with you, whoo, mountains move, amen? That's what we're forgetting. We're trying to do right. I don't doubt there's a heart in you beating, saying, I wish I could do right. You're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to do it without prayer. You're trying to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit, the hand of God moving in your life. They had it. And it worked. And there was an explosion. Uh, there was an explosion of conversions. Look at verse 21. It goes on. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of Gentiles believed 
and they turned to the Lord. Now, turning to the Lord means turning from their dumb idols, from their sinful lives, and turning by faith to trust and follow Jesus. Look in 1 Thessalonians. Hold your place here. Go to 1 Thessalonians, just before Timothy, Hebrews. You'll find 1 and 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul praises the Gentiles for the same thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9, For they themselves show us show of us what manner of entering, entering in we had unto you. It's kind of a fancy word saying, some people told us of our effect on you, how ye turned to God from idols so that you could serve the living and true God. Folks, let me tell you, is it possible to drive one direction while looking that direction? No. All right. I know some people who've been able to do it because they got mirrors <laughs> in a car. But when you're trying to do the right thing and your attention's on the world and your attention's on people and your attention's on sin, you're not going to be able to do right. And that's where repentance is saying, I got to get my attention on Jesus Christ. I got my attention on what is the right thing to do. And they turned unto the Lord and it changed the world, folks. Now, what does that mean for all those believers down in Jerusalem? Verse 22. They're kind of skeptical. Back to Acts chapter 11 and verse 22. Again, remember, the believers down in Jerusalem heard about Peter eating with a Gentile. It upset them. All right, now there's a load of Gentiles getting saved, and they're kind of getting uncomfortable. Verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all that they, with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. I just stop there for a second. And, and I want you to understand this church in Jerusalem is not wrong being suspicious. They're kind of, they hear about, there, there's a bunch of people up there claiming to be saved. Who ever heard of a load? I mean, we hear of Cornelius, but what about these people up in Antioch? Are you telling me that just by preaching about Jesus Christ and, and not having to go through all of the law and not having to go through all the prophets, that these people could get saved? That's what they're struggling with. This needs to be verified. So being cautious and suspicious is not a bad thing. It's what makes much of science so trustworthy. Because science is supposed to be about questioning and asking for proof, not just believing whatever's just said from, from the media. Science is supposed to be uh, prove it. You know where they got that from? The Bible. There are, there, uh, there are way too many religious and theological wackos today who promise miraculous healings, and they're never proven. They promise great wealth and happiness, success, and it's a lie. And they prophesy, prophesy about future events, and probably 10 to 20% of their prophecies come true. You know what the Bible says? If you do have the gift of prophecy, it'll be 100%. Because if you miss one of them, I'm allowed to stone you. That's <laughs> what the Bible says. So I hope you don't get in the habit of prophesying. But there are churches that do focus on it. Listen, the Bible says that you got to have 
evidence and proof and should be able to stand up to questioning. So the Christian, the, the believers down in Jerusalem say, we got to find out if these believers up in Antioch are true. So guess who they send? They send Barnabas. They send Barnabas to observe and verify whether they really are saved. Who was Barnabas? Look at verse 24. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Here's the guy. I mean, I wish I could go through all the times. He's not hypercritical. He's not a, an arguer like Peter was. I mean, Peter argued with Jesus often. Barnabas has got this attitude about him. It's just fantastic. He's an encourager. Go back to chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, remember when Saul got saved, what did the, what did the Jewish believers think of that? They says, no, it's not possible because Saul had just the day before been trying to kill them. And so look who comes alongside and helps out the situation. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he's escaped from Damascus. He comes to Jerusalem. He assayed. He attempted to join himself to the disciples. He says, can I come to church? But they were all afraid of him. And they believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord, how Saul had seen the Lord in the way, and that, he had, that Jesus had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So what does Barnabas do? Barnabas speaks up for him and says, he's okay. That's a good friend. That's the kind of person Barnabas was. He was also a giver back in Acts chapter 4. We won't go there when there were a lot of people who were fired and kicked out of their homes, had no place to live, had no food. People started selling things to give money so they could take care of their own people. And Barnabas sold some land and gave it to the apostles, and it was, it was, he was a giver. He didn't hold on. Normally when you own land, you hold on to it for your kids and your grandkids. And he gave it to the Lord to meet a need. He was a giver, and he's a soul winner. You notice there, every time Barnabas is around people, people get stayed. He wasn't just a, a believer. He was a huge helper to other believers in churches. There was no better person to send to this church, to Antioch, for the church. What did Barnabas find? Look at verse 23, back in Acts 11. What did Barnabas find? Who, when he came and had seen the money, is that what he saw? Did he see the buildings? Did he see the cars, the new chariots sitting outside? What do we normally notice about churches? Do we see the size of the church? <clears throat> do we see the, the, the performance on the front, the lights and the, the band and the, the, the drums? And Do we see the entertainment? What did Barnabas see but the grace of God? What a statement. He saw the grace of God of God. And he exhorted them all. Boy, he just started preaching to them. We'll talk about that in a second. When you, when you see the grace of God at work, what do you see? You see people getting saved. He saw saved people. You do, you do know this. We're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. If somebody comes in here, never been here before, don't you think they should see us being different than what they see if they were at a GA pitch? Or down at some club somewhere? Shouldn't something be evident? It's called the grace of God, folks. 
He, they saw change. He saw changed people. They were Christ-like now, not world-like. You know, I have to go back and just think about here are some saved Gentiles. Paul says it later on, but it's becoming evident that these pagan Gentiles, I mean, how are they getting saved? Because Paul says it this way. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, for when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So anybody can get saved. He saw changed people. And I'm going to say this. A grace that didn't change you didn't save you. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. All you needed was faith. Just believe in Jesus Christ, and it's done. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, here's the point. If you did receive the, gra the, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the gift of God of salvation, if you did receive that, it should change you. Not going to make you perfect, but you ought to be different. Your music ought to be different. Your words and conversation ought to be different. Your excitement ought to be different. Your schedule ought to be different. Sundays belong to the Lord now. Change. These people were Bible-loving. When, 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 when Barnabas came, he just felt so comfortable to be able to just exhort them. That's what preaching is exhort and urge and, 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 and push people to live differently and more. They were Jesus worshiping. They were not worshiping the climate like they used to. They were not worshiping politics or religiousness or self. Now they're worshiping Jesus. And, and what, when you look at, when, when you see the grace of God, you see the simplicity just a lot of homes, when, when, when mom's going, pulling her head out, she's saying, I can't manage this house anymore. You know what the rule is? Simplify. Declutter. Get a skip. <laughs> and mom will be around for a little bit longer, amen? And you know, in our life, sometimes we got so many things going on and ceremonies and traditions, and we got stuff, stuff, stuff. And what did Barnabas saw? He saw simplicity. He saw the grace of God. They were able to put up with one another. There were a multitude of cultures in that, that, that group. And Barnabas says, you guys are getting along great. We Jews can't get along. You guys are awesome. Simplicity. He told them, I like how he ends it. He told them, cling to Jesus. Look at that verse again. Uh, verse 23, who, when he came, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted, he urged them all that with purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. I like those words. That means hold on to him. He didn't say, now make sure you've memorized all 613 laws of the Old Testament. There's a lot to learn in the Old Testament. But what did he say? You know what a Gentile needs to worry about? Jesus. If you just walk with him, that you got time, you're going to learn the Bible, but cling to him. Hold on to him. I'll, I'll be, uh, let me make a comparison. You know when you get married and the devil and the world and the flesh are constantly trying to drive you apart? Cling to one another. Hold on to one another. Because the Bible says two became one. And the Bible says a man should leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. That means hold on to her. That means make it work. 
And when it comes to Christianity, well, the world is pulling every direction and everything's falling apart, hold on to Jesus. He's worth it. And Barnabas couldn't have preached anything better than just cling to him. Then Saul thought of, I'm sorry, then Barnabas thought of Saul. I mean, it is so encouraged Barnabas. Look at verse 25. Um, then departed Barnabas. It's as if he, he runs to go get Saul. He goes all the way over to Tarsus, which is on the southern uh, part of Turkey. And he, he goes over to get Saul. I love this, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. I can see him dragging him. I wish you, I wish you had the picture. I'm going to try to give you the idea. Saul, so determined to eradicate, exterminate every believer in Jesus, gets saved. He has scared everyone. He has no Christian friends. But he tries to go to church, and they reject him. He has been hunted up in Damascus. He has been rejected in Jerusalem. So he goes home like this. I guess it's no use for me to try to live for God. So he goes home. He goes back to Tarsus. And there he's stuck until Barnabas goes, you know, Saul tried to start at the top and start, he tried to teach and preach the Old Testament and tell Jews they need to get saved and they wouldn't listen. But Barnabas can start at the bottom and start teaching Gentiles. I'm going to go get, Dar uh, get Saul. And so Barnabas heads over and says, Saul, you got to come with me. And Saul's saying, no, nobody will listen to me. No, there's some people who listen to you. There's some Gentiles who will listen to every word you say. They don't know your history. They don't know where you came from. They don't know what you did. They just need you and you need them. Come on, Saul. And he drags Saul back there and set him down. He says, Saul, just teach him. And watch what it says. I want to say it again. Verse 26, and when, they had, when he, Barnabas, had found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled together themselves together with the church. And they taught much people. Must have been awesome. Everybody listened to every word Saul taught. Barnabas preaching, teaching. You know what happened? Oh, I keep, I get to preach and I forget about all the stuff I want to say. Uh, a second church was birthed. A second church was started. The people in, in Jerusalem didn't have a burden to start churches, but God did. And God used a discouraged preacher, used just an encourager together, and all these new Gentile baby Christians started a church up in Antioch. And as a matter of fact, in the, in the scheme of things, Jerusalem had the numbers of people. They had the apostles. But Antioch became the greater church. And it, was, it outshone Jerusalem. And really, the, the pattern of church that we follow is the church at Antioch. And it's just breathtaking. We'll talk about it as we go into chapter 13 more. But this is where we're going today. The disciples were first called Christians, not in Jerusalem, but here in Antioch. Look at verse 26. Um, go all the way down to the bottom. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church, taught much people, and the disciples 
were called Christians first in India. Marvelous statement. These Gentile believers earned a great honor when people started calling them Christians. Notice it didn't say they called themselves Christians. No, it says they were called Christians. What happened was this. They were accused. It was a derogatory name. It was an, it was an insult, an offense to say, you're like that Christ guy. You're like that Christ who was uh, executed for being a criminal, aren't you? It's very derogatory. But you know what they did? They wore that name proudly. In, in the Dark Ages, people who would not baptize their babies and just held to the Bible and didn't go along with the Catholic Church and all of the, the ceremonies and the traditions of the Catholic Church, they were called Anabaptists. They didn't call themselves Baptists. They, they just called themselves Christians. But the, the Catholic Church says those rebaptizers because baptism before you're saved is worthless. Baby baptism never got anybody to heaven. As a matter of fact, it damned more people than we know because people think that their baptism helped them on their way. It didn't help them at all. You get saved and then you get baptized. So they called Bible believers Anabaptists, rebaptizers. And at first, it was a title to somebody who had a mark. They would mark their house with an X or with different letters to say these people are cursed and they would burn the house down. If you were a Bible believer. And you know what those Christians started being delighted? You can call me Baptist if you want. It means Bible believer, even if it costs me everything. So you're in a Baptist church for a good reason, folks. Don't be ashamed of that name. These believers were not ashamed of the name Christian because Christian means like Christ. The Jews tried so hard to be like Moses, to be like Abraham, to be like Isaac and Jacob. But here are these Gentiles who just wanted to be like one person. Who'd they want to be like? Like be like Jesus. I want you to notice there are four levels of life that the Bible talks about that everybody's at. You're at one of these four levels. The first one is lost. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which was. Okay. Jesus said, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in there at. There are a lot of people, if not most people, who are lost. You're, that's where we all start. Then there's another layer where somebody gets found or saved. Lost means you're going to hell. Saved means now you're going to heaven. Amen. And you know what I found? Most believers are there. You say, well, that's good, isn't it? No, it's not. It's good for your soul, but not good for the Lord. Because that's not where God wants you. He wants you saved, yes, but it's like having a baby and then saying, okay, you're on your own. You want that kid to grow up. Get a job and take care of you when you retire, amen? And when God births a, a, a sinner into his kingdom, he says, now nah, let's grow. And there's a problem because Christians think, well, I'm saved. That's all that's necessary. No. Yes, you're going to heaven, but you're not living. There's another layer. And that's a layer called discipleship where you're a student of the word, where this book is your life, where you not only feed at the table of, of, uh, at, at breakfast and at lunch and at dinner, but you feed in his word and you want to be like Jesus. 
You want to learn what this book says. That's a disciple. And it talks about disciples. It's talking about people saved. Cornelius got saved. Baptized. But the next layer is, I'm, I'm a student of Jesus. I'm a follower of him. I, I want to be a copy of him. I want to be just like him. And one day, there's a level I'd like to reach where somebody looks at me and says, you're a Christian, aren't you? It's only happened to me once in my life. A guy was delivering pizza. I had ordered pizza from Five Guys Pizza. Five Guys Pizza in, in, uh, in New Jersey. I know why it takes five guys to make pizza, but Five Guys Pizza delivered this big pizza one night, knocked on the door. He was kind of rough looking like he just got off of a motorbike with daggers and guns and all this stuff. I don't know. Anyway, he looked at me, here's your pizza. I said, I'm glad to meet you. Before I, give, before I give you your money, can I give you this gospel track? I'll tell you, I don't know for sure when you die to go to heaven. He looked at me and he says, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I went, yes. Give me your money. <laughs> and he was angry. Gave him the money and I went, yes. That was nice. Another title, I was at work and I handed out gospel tracts and stuff. And one day somebody complained to the boss. I only did it during break. But uh, one person complained and went to, the, to, the, to my manager. Manager called me in, said, uh, you got to stop your preaching. Said, I'm not preaching. <laughs> got to stop your preaching. You're upsetting people. I found out they were calling me the preacher. And I went, yes. I didn't go around. Can you imagine if I went into work, the preacher is here. What? <laughs> It's the same as when we go and we go to our family, go to our, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And they go, you don't act like it. But when they can tell that you're like Christ, they will tell you. And they may not like it, but they'll be able to identify you're just like Jesus. What an honor. In this room, there are people who are lost, without hope, without God. You're just as lost as the chair you're sitting in. That's the majority of this world. That's not what God wants. God's not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody saved. Amen? But that is where most Christians get and stop. And if they go to church, it's trouble. It's hard. Oh, I had to go to church today. Because they only want to be just saved. But there's some of us who hunger to know this book. And they love it because they're following something that's true start to finish. There's Every word of God is pure. It's not like, uh, you know, we got problems in the Bible. There are no problems in the Bible. There are problems in me. And then there's that joy where somebody looks at you. You can never claim it, but somebody can say, you're like Jesus. Now, I've been said I look like Moses. <laughs> Verse 27. Famine was coming. And we'll finish this up. And in those days, in these days, came prophets from Jerusalem all the way up to Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus. We'll see him again through the book of Acts, but there a prophet named Agabus, and he signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth. Dearth means famine. There should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, what kind of nationality were the disciples? Gentiles. I want you to see something. These are in Antioch. The disciples, they weren't just saved. They're trying to learn to be like Jesus. Every man, according to his ability, he determined to send relief unto those Jewish brethren down where? 
Those Jewish brethren who doubted they were even saved. Those Jewish brethren who would never have cared enough to take the gospel of them. It was by accident that they had heard the gospel. They got saved. And they heard about the Jewish brethren down in Jerusalem heading into a famine. They says, let's take up an offering. That's church, isn't it? Where all of a sudden you realize, I don't care who they are, they're family. Amen. How many of you have an uncle that you kind of are embarrassed about? <laughs> don't raise your hand. Folks. They're family. And there are people from all different cultures who are just as saved as you because they believe just in Jesus Christ. And we have, we have an arrogance about ourselves where they don't look like me, they don't talk like me, they don't even eat like me. Doesn't matter. You're going to spend all eternity with them in heaven. Might as well get used to them now. Famine was coming. It was a great sign of what Christianity should be like. I think it's absolutely breathtaking that, like I said, the believers in Antioch, they heard of this, and they wanted to help with food and money. And it was the right thing to do. Doesn't matter how anybody treated you. I don't care. Somebody once said to me, I've heard it several times, well, I was, I was hurt by a church. Uh, who hasn't been? Well, you know, I, I was let down by the pastor. You know, if we move from this expectation to it's family, it's family. I don't care if Christians are a mess, and we are. I love them because Jesus commanded me to love one another, not because they're all perfect. If you ever joined a perfect church, you'd ruin it. You know why? Because you're imperfect. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. By the way, can I say, and... I very rarely ever talk about prophecy. I do it on purpose. I stay away because there's so much abuse. But I have to tell you, I say these things every once in a while. Famine is coming. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're not aware, you're watching the oil prices go up. Don't worry about oil prices. Worry about food. This thing is not going away. It's planned. It is a, it is a joke. Politicians are going to be useless more than ever before. How are we going to react? Are we going to just huddle and hide in our homes like COVID all over again? Are we going to minister and keep soul winning? Are we going to be scattered and silenced? Or can we not just say, Lord, help me be faithful no matter what? Jesus said, famines are going to come. And they are coming more and more and more. This is a great example Verse 30, so it goes on. Well, I didn't finish verse 29. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. What a thing to come back with. Here's Barnabas and Saul, and they come back with bags of money. And they put it down. It says, these are from your brethren, the Gentile believers up in Antioch. What a humbling thing. Let me ask you some questions. Have you led anyone to faith in Christ yourself? It's the hardest thing you'll ever do sometimes. But the Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Your godly life is a tree from which people ought to be able to find life, ought to be able to hear truth, and ought to be able to know the gospel. And he that winneth souls, the Bible says, is wise. It's not easy. Talking to people, but it's like, it's like catching fish. 
it, you know, fish don't normally like to be tricked and caught. You stay at it. It'll work. By the way, if you do ever win a soul, you won't be able to stop talking about it for weeks. <laughs> oh, you should have been there. I was just, I just opened the gospel track, started reading it, and he started crying. And he says, well, where is that in the Bible? I opened the Bible, and 30 minutes later, he's at the side of the table, and he's crying and asking God to save him. It's the greatest day of my life. You won't be able to stop talking about it, folks. What will you do when you start being bullied and persecuted just for being a Christian? Don't wait until then to start evangelizing the lost world. The main reason why persecution is coming is because we have not evangelized our generation. We have let this generation live in darkness. Third question is this, is the grace of God visible in our church? You know how you know the grace of God is invisible? There are cliques. There are people that you won't talk to. You, 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 you don't say hi to. You don't care about. That's not grace, folks. Grace is God overlooking my sinfulness and dying for me, a sinner. And when you have grace, you'll put up with anybody. The grace of God I've invented in our families or is fighting. Are there any Barnabases here? We've covered a lot of ground in chapter 11, but one outstanding life is the life of Barnabas, who just loves to encourage the discouraged. Amen? Does anyone else here yearn to help birth another church? I, I love Ireland. I love a church like this everywhere in Ireland. There are people who move away and they go, there's no church where I'm living. There's nothing there. As a church, our job is to start more churches. I'd rather, I'd rather just have a burden for it than anything else. Last question, which level of life are you at? Are you still lost? You're still just following the crowd, following the media, following the world? Or have you been saved? I want you saved. I, man, Jesus died to save. But is that all you are? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Does it even look like you're following him? Do, you know, I see people, when, when, when these sports players change their hairstyle, all these guys change their hairstyle. Used to be women change their hairstyle. Now it's men changing their hairstyle to follow it. I can tell who you're following. I should be able to tell who you're following. It's Jesus. And are you Christ-like? Wow. Father, before we stand, I just want to bow with every head bowed and every eye closed. I just want to pray quietly for a moment. And say, God, this is one of the most exciting chapters, God. Things are starting to happen fast and furious, God. There's a, there's a new direction that those believers in Jerusalem were being pushed into, and that is into getting out of Jerusalem and going to the uttermost parts of the world starting to care about Gentiles, people in all over that were lost. God, help us even right now this moment. We, we care about the souls of our family. We think of our kids, our grandkids. We think of our, our moms and dads and our family members who are lost, and we worry about their soul. But how many of us don't worry about anybody else? How many of us have never cared enough to put a bunch of gospel leaflets into our 
pocket or a purse and said, I'm going to be a light that you saved me to be. I'm called a light in this dark world. I'm called a witness of what Jesus can do. Would you just help us, God, to change? So one day somebody could look and see the grace of God in us and say, there's somebody like Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.